very warm welcome to the show, Lindsay, on the Spirit Guides Network Radio. It's lovely to have you on to discuss your workshops and a bit about yourself as well. I know many people know you as the Binet Woman um, from the uh, 70s TV series, but I guess not many people um, may know that you do the, the spiritual work as well. Um, and, you know, obviously you've got a lot of people coming to your workshops I hope that we can raise awareness to people who don't know um, are you finding that there's quite a lot of people that are aware of what you're doing in the UK? We've had yeah we've had some uh, wonderful response um, uh, typically I, I limit the numbers on, on certain ones of the workshops on the intensives and so we've been pretty pretty well full with the way we've said it most of the time and we're kind of working on new formats now that can accommodate more people. They're just shorter form, three hours in an evening sometimes. And, um, you know, we're kind of always morphing it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because I saw, looking back at the, you know, the, the Binet Woman and doing some research on, on you, I was under the impression, like most people, that um, people start off in the film industry um, and then as they mature a bit later on, they get more spiritual through life experience. But from yourself, it seemed that you was already quite spiritual before you went into that, and you sort of added that to your role. Yes, actually, that was that's a lovely summary. <laughs> <laughs> when people talk about that, I always find myself, how can I say that? So can I call you the next time I need, I need somebody <laughs> to explain it? You said it so succinctly, but then that's what you do for a living, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, yes. Yes, it, it's been really a lifetime journey for me. Uh, I've always been... Uh, even as a kid, in a strange way, I was I was uh, fascinated, wanted to go to church, and was saying, "When are we going to go to church with my parents?" And they're going, "What's wrong with this kid? You know, most kids you have to drag them." <laughs> and uh, and then when I was uh, well, as you probably read, when when I was nineteen, nineteen and twenty, I had an illness. I had some ulcers, and and it was through meditation, visualization, fasting that. That some people, a doctor and a minister, both who are very holistic in nature, took me through a process and of physical healing and and self investigation, and I was just blown away with the fact that I was able to avoid surgery by doing that and and doing the processes that they, that they kind of took me through for about six weeks to two months, and it just changed my well, I should say, it changed my whole. View it changed my whole conditioned view. I think my intuitive view of the world was a lot more spiritual as a child, but the conditioning oftentimes is not. And uh, so that just kind of blew all of conventions out of water for me. And it began a lifetime study. And so I've studied Eastern, Western, you know, naturopathic, homeopathic, herbal. I've studied with the Tibetans and Native American shamans and. Uh, Hindu, some Hindu ways, and just so many different things as well, of course, uh, never to me was it a contradiction to my own Christian spiritual journey, so um, did a lot of meditation and just all kinds of stuff. I just had an avid appetite for that, yeah. especially after that experience at 20. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, did you actually overlay that in your role? Um, some of the research you did that you was able right. to almost um, yeah. pressurize the producers to make it more deeper. Exactly. Um, we, we did various shows that had a different consciousness than you would ordinarily see in what would be considered an action show. Uh, we did 
for example, uh, an episode called Biofeedback in which uh, the, the character that we were talking about that in that particular show had gone to uh, Tibet. He was part of the OSI, the science research team. He'd gone to the OSI and studied Tibetan monks and uh, learned to control his bodily functions by his mind and was able to slow down his heart. And when he got shot, he was able to stop the bleeding by controlling his mind as the yogis and the, the Tibetans have amazing things that they can do with it. And we all have that potential. You know, that is our human potential. But um, we tend to want to fix things from the outside all the time here in the West. Mm. <laughs> and we forget how much power there is on the inside. So we did a story like that, which was very unorthodox in, in the midst of, uh, of an action show. But fortunately, our show was uh, kind of science fiction slash reality. So we had the ability to do that show and nobody thought a thing of it. So you could either believe that that was real or you could say I had science fiction anyway. So, um, And we talked about, uh, you know, back then in the 70s in, in the U.S., it was just the beginning of when the, the our culture as a whole was starting to address the issue of the Native American Holocaust, if you will, that went on in our country. And uh, in the 70s, it was the first time a country that was based on religious freedom when the uh, Native Americans were actually finally legally given the right to practice their religion, certain parts of their religion, which had been taken away from them uh, at one point. And so we did, a, we did a, uh, an episode uh, with uh, Charlie Hill, who was a Native American comedian at the time, but also an actor. And uh, the story was written about his... Uh, he was a scientist but he had connection with his ancestors and, and he would hear and, and his ancestors were trying to connect with him from, uh, you know, from the other side, if you will. Uh, so we did a story about that and lots of, lots of different things as well as, as uh, just looking at in as many episodes as possible the so-called bad guy as not someone other than another human being who had his own opinion and maybe was going about it in some un, mm, some unacceptable ways of you know we have spies that I mean they had they were spies trying to do something with us but we were spies you know and doing that so it's like let's not make it so black and white you know so right and wrong so let, let's let's look at in trying to do conflict resolution in some of these stories as many as you can um, at least show the, ad, the so-called adversary as a human being. Because I think when we stop doing that, that's when we don't do conflict resolution and we just simply do conquering, you know, and just wipe them out if they don't agree with us or do it our way. Because we don't see them as human beings with their own agendas and they have a right to that in some way, you know? So that's what, a lot of what we did. Sure. So does this kind of lead on to, I mean, in your own life, you was helping, um, is it convicted... What are they? People that, uh, that harm their wives. Oh uh, uh, yes, uh, domestic violence offenders. Domestic <laughs> violence. So you're kind of helping those to sort of break that cycle, which is right. kind of like trying to help the bad guy in a way change <laughs> the. <laughs> That's your word, not mine. <laughs> That's a lot of people's words. It was my word when I was growing up because my family struggled with that issue, and he certainly was the bad guy. And as I grew up and did my own healing and. You know, I realize that all family members can heal, uh, those who want to, and, and uh, far more people, far more um, 
uh, people who commit domestic violence, and women do it too, um, really would like to change their ways and not, don't understand how or why they're trapped in this, this syndrome. Mm. Uh, uh, so it, it really takes some, some compassion on, on the part of the people who may be offering help to someone who has... Because we, we see everything as the, the victim and the oppressor, and, the, and we see the victim as always innocent. And but even if you've got kids or if you remember being a kid and you have siblings, you know, how many times your younger brother would do something, taunt you, and then you'd get mad and you'd yell, or you'd, you'd punch him, and then mom would come in, you'd get in trouble. But you never saw what the kid did, right? Mm. Not that anybody deserves to be hit. Not that, you know, not that it, it, it's, just, it's just a dynamic that everybody needs to look at. How, it's a very big subject, and I, and I don't suppose we should get very deeply into that subject here tonight. Um, but, but it is a pattern that everyone participates in. And so, at least in, in America, we tend to only reach out to the victims and, uh, uh, of that, in that syndrome and not to the person who's, who's doing the offense and yet the physical offense. But, but what happens by doing that, you never learn about the dynamics that are going on in the family that need to be changed, because even if, if someone who, who tends to use violence as, as the, uh, uh, to, to stop whatever is going on, I mean, it's not just random. There's something that they're trying to affect, trying to stop. And so, so looking at the dynamic as well as the way you deal with trying to change things or trying to stop something that someone else is doing and looking at why it hurts you so much that you so desperately need to stop it that you have to use violence. See, that's, that's what the work is that we do. Yeah. That's what I was doing with them. Let's look at the pains that you carry that make that act there that may or may not be appropriate on, on her part, um, but let's say it even isn't. Why can't you, you know, what, what is it in you that hurts so bad that, that you, that when she does that, it hurts so bad that you have to go that far? And so helping heal that pain is going to do a lot to curb the behavior, as well as learning techniques about, uh, um, of, of how to notice in your body that you're getting that kind of angry. Because pre- before you know it as a battery, you don't think, oh, now I'm going to beat someone. You know, no, it just, it's like a trigger. <laughs> it happens at certain point. So some of the things that we did also was helping people to learn when to notice in their body when, uh, I, what is it you feel before you get that angry? Well, I always, that my ears get hot or my, you know, I get this thing in my gut. And so that's the point when you need to recognize that something is going on. So there's a lot of tricks that we deal with as well as the pain of the past that you're carrying into this moment. It's, it's a big, it's a big subject, but yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, you've got two workshops coming up in in the UK. Um, you've got Karen there by your side, kindly helping you now, haven't you? Oh, uh, drive me is more like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got another one here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you know, just to obviously. I think it takes us on to that subject quite perfectly because it's about what reading the, the workshop narrative is about changing your perspective can help enhance your life and change the way that you behave you really or the way you 
you deal with situations. So I know you've got a workshop in Aberdeen on the 12th of September and one in Kensington in London on the 7th of October. And we'll give out details of that at the end of the show as well. We also put that on the narrative page as well. So, I mean, do you want to just give us um, you know, a synopsis of what the, the workshop is about? Right. Well, um, these are the, the short-form uh, workshops. We won't be learning a lot of the techniques that I teach in, um, in the, the two- and three-day and, and longer workshops that I do and retreats. But we will be having the conversation, the discussion, about how our perspective brings us our experience of any circumstance in our life. When we think it's that circumstance or that person that is making us feel this way, it's actually already in us that that response, that 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 response that we have to it, that pain, that 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 sadness or that implosion or that explosion, that that feeling of being persecuted or that feeling of being angry. That's already programmed into us as a response to that type of stimuli. And and we don't realize that. It feels like that feeling that I just had when you yelled at me came from you yelling at me. But actually it didn't because if you think about it, there's probably a day when that same person yelled at you that you were feeling better and more grounded and it didn't bother you. And you looked at them and you went, well, uh, you know, you're obviously upset. Can you want to calm down so we can talk about it? Whereas the day that you're not so grounded or you're not so centered in you know, in in your own integrity, then at that moment they yell at you and, and you just feel horrible and you go through all kinds of things and maybe you yell back at them or you cry or you, you know what I'm saying? So it isn't a given that that uh, that what someone does is going to bring about the same response. Therefore, the responses that we do have, if we take responsibility for that, that's where our power is. We say, wow, there's something in me is hurting and it got triggered by that action out there or that happening or something out there or my own view in the mirror. <laughs> um, and then you can see where you can work and apply some techniques or, or, or compassion for yourself and, and start working on healing the wounds that are actually coming up from the past and presenting in the present by way of that stimulus. And so, and that's much easier and far more powerful and long-lasting than trying to go around changing the world so you don't feel bad. Yeah. I was quite intrigued with um, the mention of, I saw he's bring Karen back into this. Um, I hope Karen doesn't mind me mentioning it, but you, you guys met because Karen's um, daughter, oh, I'm not, sorry, I'm not sure if it's son or daughter. That's right. Uh, uh, got special needs. Right. Um, I, mean, I have a similar situation myself in my family with my daughter being autistic. And I was just mm. being sort of um, intrigued to know a bit more about that, if that's okay. Um. Well, she, yes, she, when I first met Karen, she was uh, sharing with me how she was kind of hitting a wall. And in addition to that, her mother had uh, now come down with Alzheimer's. And so she was full-time caring for her daughter, who uh, was, her disabilities were quite severe, and she could not you know, walk on her own, nor, she, nor could she eat. And so it's constant. Her life was completely dependent on her, her family. 
And now her mother was becoming uh, more progressively disabled, and she had so much more responsibility than ever. And of course, raising two other other children, and and it was just she just thought she couldn't handle it. And when we worked just very briefly, and I did something that we will be doing in Aberdeen at the uh, it's a oneness diksha. It's an it's an energy, it's a meditation that. Uh, that, that tends to balance all the energies in your body and in your brain and get you back to a calm state so that whatever it is you have to do, you can just do it from that point and you aren't carrying how much you had to do yesterday and your concern and your worry about what you have to do tomorrow into this moment. You can just be here in this moment and do what you have to do, which, which when you can actually accomplish that, that brings so much more energy to you in the moment right now because we waste so much energy worrying about tomorrow or trying to fix tomorrow or worrying about the past or being upset about it or, you know, and our, and our emotions go off about it that it's very draining. And, and so we had a very brief talk and I did this oneness meditation and uh, which I'll also referred to as the oneness diksha, uh, which is an energy transmission and that I was trained to do in India and uh, she subsequently went and learned to do it herself. But just in that one session we had together, and then she came to the U.S. later, and we did another session there, um, she became a dynamo, and <laughs> she was wearing me out. <laughs> she got her energy back because she got very centered in the present and was just letting go of all of the negative thoughts and and whatnot that that were dragging her energy field down. It's, again, it's a big conversation of how that works, and that's what we will be addressing uh, yeah. in in the workshops. But she ultimately said, "Could you come and do some of this work with the carers here in the area where I live for the support group?" And I said, "Sure." And I, and having met her and heard how stressed out she was and how tired she was. I thought, this will never happen. But she called me a month later and she said, okay, it's all together. <laughs> and I said, what? And uh, before I knew it, I was I was heading to uh, the U.K. to do three programs the first time around. Wow. And then within three months, she she put a, what was it, two and a half, three-month tour together again, uh, which I, I came back three months or whatever it was later. Yeah. Uh, and she's just going strong. Um, but she got that that uh, release of, of that stuff that was dragging her down, and not that she doesn't, you know, like all of us, we go through this work and we learn to, to stay more balanced, not that we never have problems, not that we never hurt, but we're far more capable of recentering and and using these techniques to, um, to tap into the amazing potential that we have that we totally forget that we have, or maybe sometimes... Some of us never even realized that we have already available to us because we are a part of this creation and we have the power of this creation. Or if you're a religious person, the, the connection with God is so so strong, but we, we have it you know, blocked off with a lot of our thinking and our ways of being. and and Or the, the universal life force, intelligence, you know, whatever your language is, um, it's there for us. It's just learning to let go of what keeps us from it and opening to that which helps us to connect with it more more strongly. 
yeah, sure. Because when I read your narrative, you say that how we perceive life um, through a stencil of the mind, and um, you know, I kind of picture that um, as like we have this kind of big cloud around us, and then we're—it's almost like it's this cloud could be all dark, like a storm, and then we're we're viewing the world through that and then everything seems to be cloudy then and there's no sunshine but if you get rid of that cloud then the sun comes through and everything lifts and it's all nice <laughs> it seems, right. is that a good analogy of what you're trying to achieve and how we are as human beings well, that would certainly be one way to see it yeah it's, uh, sometimes I see it more like the world is what it is and you are a spontaneous, constantly, uh, a spontaneous, spontaneous uh, uh, expression of, of the life force and of creation. You know, we aren't static. We're constantly being, being recreated, ourselves, everything. And, and so we are more like an emanation, if you will, than a static thing that we think of. And so knowing that, that we're far more flexible than than um, we acknowledge, and so for me, when I when I think of this stencil, uh, it could be a cloud, but I see it sometimes literally as a little as a stencil, like we used to draw with these kids, and and it backs up in front of my eyes, and I'm seeing the world through that, and so and and my focus oftentimes gets focused on the stencil as opposed to even the parts of the stencil that aren't obscuring the world, that you can see through, right? There's holes in a stencil, that's why it's a stencil. So looking through them, you can see the person in front of you, or you can see the, the you know, the, the world in front of you. And, you know, uh, but, but you can also see parts of it, because it's blurred by that stencil. And like I said, your, your focus can sometimes shift back and you're just looking at the stencil and you don't even see the world. You only see the stencil. You pull that stencil away. I, I, I feel that sometimes when I work with these techniques and, and I have an old thing that's, that's bothering me and, I can't, and it just keeps coming up every time that happens, whatever it is, um, that when I finally get to the point where I have been able to dissolve the... the the tether that keeps me stuck to that program, to that, to that old negative thought, or to that, um, in this case, stencil we're using, that then the stencil falls away, and you just see it for what it is. He's yelling at me right now. Am I gonna, does he need me to walk away? You know, is there anything I can do to help? As opposed to the stencil says, oh, you shouldn't be yelling at me, or there's something wrong with me that he's yelling at me, or... How dare you yell at me? I'm not da da da. What's all that about? He's got a problem. He's yelling. You know what I'm saying? Without a stencil, that's what you see. And your intuition says, you know what? You better back up. Or your intuition says, honey, what's wrong? Can I? I, I, I hear that's what, what something's hurting you. Can you? You know what I'm saying? You, you can hear your intuition better when you when you are not looking through that stencil. When you can just see life the way it is and not thinking about you or some old thing that happened before which this really isn't it but it looks kind of the same okay so basically is it to do with um what you what you're, you're teaching is a way of changing people's perspective um or is it the way they think is it how, how do you work what level do you work on well several levels um and that's it, it takes pretty much mm, i answer that first of all to 
we, we spend a little time exploring the concept. And, and then we use, because a lot of these stencils and a lot of these um, uh, perspectives that we have, if you will, are generated, are stuck to an old wound or pain or something that happened to us long ago as children, whether it was a repetitive thing or a one-time thing that was somewhat traumatizing. And that pain gets triggered, and it's stuck in your energy field. The frequency of that pain that has with it a perspective is, is uh, stuck in your energy field. It's, it's, it's not life-giving for you. Um, the energy of fear that you have of dogs having been bitten as a kid has nothing to do with the present, but you feel it every time you come in contact with a dog. The energy, the negative energy that did not get completed, that didn't come up in your body as you freak out and get completely moved through, it kind of got stuck there. And so now when you see a dog, that remind, there's a reminder that's a similar stimuli to that with that old terror still stuck in your energy field, because it's just a frequency. And, and this is, again, this is why it takes a while in the workshop to have the discussion to really understand that everything is frequency. Even a thought is frequency. An emotion is a frequency. Our body is our frequencies, various frequencies making up this big frequency called me, you know. And so what we do is, is uh, we spend very little time in the mind, and, and doing more classical type of, of psychology, which is kind of trying to go through the mind to figure it out and change thoughts and whatnot. We don't do that. We, we look for the wounds and the, and the energy, the emotions, and those old thoughts that have the negative feeling with them and use these new techniques uh, of uh, changing the energy field, releasing that old uh, terror that came with, with that experience about the dog. Um, from the energy field, identifying that frequency and, and, and actually getting it to release, like defragging your computer. Get that old stuff out of there that doesn't belong to anything anymore. And it, and it works better. So we work through the um, acupuncture system, for example, uh, which is working with the electrical system, basically the energy, the meridian, energy meridians in the body, and, and use those pathways to release that negative energy. So once you do that and the energy of terror is now gone, it was kind of stuck in your, in your energy field, then you see a dog, and you can remember being bit by a dog, but you don't feel that terror anymore because that frequency of that was released from your energy field. Okay. All right. Okay. So is it, do, you, do you use the EFT to, to, to... Uh, EFT is one of the methods. Is definitely one of the methods. Yep, and there are other energy psychology is a is a broader uh, spectrum. EFT is one of the techniques, and there are some other things from uh, energy psychology that that we learn as well, as well as the uh, one that seeks and uh, and that is a transmission of an energy that you don't do tapping on yourself with. You just become receptive for a facilitator um, to. Uh, tune into more strongly and project the energy frequency that is um, 
they call it the oneness diksha because this energy ha- has the capacity to uh, really bring about a shift in your energy field by recalibrating the chakras, the chakras, the energy centers, and uh, and also causes a, a change in certain parts of brain of your brain activity. So the part of your brain that doesn't stop saying, remember this, be careful, remember that, do that, or she did that a long time ago, don't ever forgive her. You know, all that, yeah. that chatter, we can't seem to stop. That part of your brain, by way of, of resonating with the oneness diksha, um, actually gets calmed down. Yeah. So you don't have to even work at it. It just calms that part down, and it tends to activate the part of your brain that we relate to as... Uh, what well, some people call it the spiritual center. Some, some, there's all kinds of scientific uh, defini- definitions uh, f- for that as well and explanations, but it ends up putting off the endorphins that make us feel calm and actually bring about a sense of upliftment and well-being and, and you know, all of that's going on all the time. It's just... How, how active is that part of your brain that experiences fear or, or paranoia or anger? Or how far does, how active is that part of your brain that that is, that is responsible for you feeling your connectedness to to other people, to, you know, to feel whole inside, to you know, to feel love or compassion, and and that's what the oneness blessing is about. And it is the simplest technique, and that's what we will be doing for sure in Aberdeen and, and in London. Yeah, sure. So you've got the CD available as well, and that's on, you've got a website dedicated to that, haven't you, www.opentooneness.com. So, you know, if people, obviously people, not everyone can make the, the workshops, but if they was to uh, purchase the CD, you know, can they... Right, yeah. yes. Yes, um, the CD was designed to give you an experience that uh, on your own. Um, I actually made it... Uh, because so many people were saying, but how do I do that meditation part at home? Hmm. And uh, so uh, I just, I, I worked with the composer and we did a lot of the, um, the diksha with him so that he had that energy flowing in him while he was composing. And when I do the speaking in the beginning of it, I, I speak only through the first song. There's seven tracks on the, on the CD. And I speak uh, through the first one the words that are very basic, no matter what our belief system is, it's it's about tuning into oneness and about um, peace and joy, creativity, health, and unconditional love and gratitude. So those are words that, no matter what your belief, and even if you have no belief or you're an atheist, it doesn't matter. We all talk about love. We all want love. We want peace. We want joy, creativity, and health. And um, and when we when we summon gratitude, it is one of the most healthy and positive things that we can do for our whole system and for our well being. So so that's what I speak, and I and I did it from a from a from deep meditation. I, I went into deep meditation, and then and then we recorded the I recorded the words, uh, which I call an invocation, invoking our higher self. Hmm. Um, when I when I speak those words to the music. It's, it's really simple. And so with that, it's just a matter of putting it on and, and laying down you and, or, or sitting up or laying back um, and just resting. You don't have to be a meditator to 
use my uh, oneness meditation CD um, at all. It's designed actually for people to not meditate. You can meditate to it, but it isn't even necessary for a meditator to meditate when you use it. You can do that, but but it's really designed to just relax and, and let the music take you on that journey. Yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, the, the other thing as well, because we, we're sort of coming up, uh, we've got about nine minutes left, really, but um, just to, you know, go into more detail about how people can find out um, about coming to the the workshops. Now, obviously, we have them listed on our site as well. We'll let people know about them. But there's there's a website called com, isn't there? Right. And um, Karen said it was okay to give out a phone number as sure. well. Okay, so that's 07846636920, and that's Karen. You can speak to her um, about getting tickets for each of the events. I mean, is, is, is the one in London, sorry, you've got one in Aberdeen in Scotland. Is there still places available on that one? Yes, there are. Yeah. I believe there are, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what sort of people do you find coming to these events? Is it predominantly women, um, a, a lot more men now getting into this? Interesting you ask that specific question because we always comment on how many more women there are than men. <laughs> but and we're always happy to see the guys show up. Uh, the, the workshop that I just did here in uh, Cleveland for the carers, the most recent workshop, um, there were a lot more men than ever before then. I thought that was really kind of cool. And um, But, yeah, it's really for, for anyone. Um, and mm, people from all walks of life, we've had... Um, people who are stay-at-home moms, we've had professionals, we've had psychologists from the is it Rochester, from, from the Chesterfield uh, uh, Psychiatric Hospital there who came, and uh, she actually liked it so much I was very honored that she came to our two-day workshop and, and ended up setting up a workshop there for her colleagues. Uh, who work at the hospital because she thought some of these techniques might be helpful for them with their clients. And uh, so it's kind of the gamut. Uh, we, we had a whole bunch of people come from Ireland, which surprised us, the whole gang. And they were everything from publishers to grocers to, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm quite, inter- I'm quite interested here because you've obviously been into this um, for a long time. Um, and obviously you had your... Uh, film career in between, which I understand you still have as well. Um, but I mean, along that way, have you seen a steady increase in the amount of people that are taking interest in this? Or because you know, it seemed like in the 60s and the 70s, it's like this big explosion of spirituality, and then it all, almost went underground again for yeah. a while, and now it's come back out again. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, yes. I've definitely been on this planet long enough to see a huge arc. <laughs> <laughs> In that department, and yeah, and there were people who just continued on um, with it, and there are people who seem to kind of drop it and then pick it up later. And but it's it is interesting to see, and I don't really have any grand definitive statements about it, but I am seeing the our first gen, meaning my generation, I say our first generation of children. Uh, who grew up with us, uh, the, my, my generation. Um, we were having kids when, when the, the big flush was there. And so it's, it's not so odd to them, and I, I don't think 
I think that is reflected in the fact that you're even seeing it in Time Magazine today because those kids are now the editors, you know? And so to them, it's like, well, well what is that? And, and how spirituality and science are, are far more looking at each other than, than they ever would have in the past. And it's, it's just a fascinating time to be alive, really. There's a lot of problems on the planet. It could, you know, one, one's perspective could be it's a horrifying time to be alive, but it also is an amazing time in history to be alive because there's so many wonderful things happening and collaborations coming about. Yeah, I think with the, uh, the people are waking up to spirituality, we're also waking up to what also has been going on as well. Um, and it's, I guess we have to be uh, a little bit centred to to deal really with what's been going on. I think holistically, the whole planet really needs to um, be in peace rather than just you know specific places like the West. Right. Um, and a lot of spiritual people do seem to be taking uh, the lead in trying to help in that. And you, you certainly seem to be a spiritual worker that's doing things, yeah. um, you know, helping people. Um, and obviously then training other people to do the same thing so I commend you for that um, you know we're sort of coming up to the end of the show now so I just say thank you again for coming on I wish you all the best with the workshops thank you and um, you know and do come back to the UK which I'm sure you are anyway quite often with Karen by your side as well so okay. I thank you both for you know giving the time to speak to you thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it okay all the best okay thank you very much